Welcome back to The Marketing Podcast, where we discuss marketing science, case studies that reveal successful marketing techniques, and strategic marketing analysis, where we model the data and turn it into financial forecasts so you have predictable revenue. I'm your host, Brandon White, and this is Marketing. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. I want to do a quick intro before we get into this episode because this is an outtake of a longer episode we did called How to Run a Great Finance and Accounting Department with Sean Lamb, who has years of experience in finance as a senior executive at Dolby for many years and then a CFO of Ruggable among other companies. He has an undergraduate in economics from Princeton and an MBA from Stanford. And he jumped on the edge and we did almost two hours on how to run a great finance and accounting department, which doesn't really sound that sexy. But if you aren't running a great finance and accounting department and you aren't closing your books in 15 days, you're probably going to be in trouble. In this outtake, we talked about contribution margin And it's something that we've talked about here on the show before. We've talked about what it is, how to calculate it, and things like that. But we really haven't talked about how to implement it. Sometimes you go deep into what these things are and how to calculate it, which are all great in theory. And then there's actually implementing it. And implementing it in an organization, there can be a big difference between actually talking about it and how it happens. So in this episode... We go into where it should sit, how to, how it actually gets calculated, why it should sit in a certain place, and then how to interact between the finance and marketing departments. You're going to enjoy this show. I'll put a link to the full episode if you'd like to listen to it on The Edge, soon to be The Brandon White Show, in the show notes. So if you enjoy this part of it, you can jump back and listen to the full episode Again, in this, you will get an outtake on how to implement your contribution margin. Here we go. All right, this next one, this is the last one. I actually have one last thing, but that will only take a minute. Is This is my fixation on marketing. And you and I have talked about this before. The only place that I've ever experienced it deeply was at America Online when I was the guy running contribution margin, which generally is a marketing function, but it is related to finance and works with finance or should be working with finance, mainly because you need to recategorize items on your P&L to figure out what's fixed and variable costs. But I just wanted you to comment on this. You and I have talked about this before. There's a difference between gross margin and contribution margin. And when we talk about, which you were just saying, you come in and do this cross-functional sort of bridge building if it's not existing, that bridge building happens with marketing too because if marketing doesn't understand how to do contribution analysis and is not working with finance to help understand how to recategorize variable and fixed costs to get a contribution margin and only does it on gross margin, then you truly don't understand profitability of a business unit if you will, division, product, or service. So I know I I warned you about that I was going to go down this rabbit hole for a second, but can you talk a little bit about this? 
Yeah. So we're talking about the income statement or P&L people call it, profit and loss statement. So that starts with revenue. And then after revenue, you might have a deduction for returns, right? People return your product sometimes. And then you might get, have some coupons or something. And then you get to what we call net revenue. After net revenue, you start subtracting out cost of goods sold. So what are you selling? Are you selling uh, hardware? Are you selling software? If you're selling a piece of hardware, that likely has plastics, that has computer chips, that has all sorts of complicated mechanical machinery in it. That is a cost of goods sold. The labor it takes to make that product is a cost of goods sold. So when you take that, those, what we sometimes call bomb cost bill of materials. So it's the plastics, the chips and all of that, the, that go into the product. And then you take the labor and you subtract that out from your net revenue. That's called cost of goods sold that you're subtracting out of net revenue and you end up with your gross profit. Gross profit, you also have a gross margin. So the gross profit is the dollars. The gross margin is the percent. So if you sell a hundred dollars worth of stuff and it costs you $40 in cogs to make that stuff, you're going to have $60 left over and you're going to have a 60% gross margin. Okay. So we'll pause there. We just talked about the walk on the income statement from gross revenue minus discounts, returns, net revenue minus cost of goods sold gets you to your gross profit. In internet businesses, I'll use that as an example, direct-to-consumer businesses uh, that I've been involved with, the next few steps on the income statement are what we call variable costs. These are costs that are directly tied to the level of sales activity you're doing. Examples are credit card processing fees, fulfillment fees, right, getting the product to the customer, performance marketing, we just touched on that. So this is ads on Facebook, ads on Instagram, ads on TikTok, all of those sorts of things. And then the third category that we have at the company I'm at right now in variable is customer service. So the amount of phone calls we get depends on how many things we sell. And uh, people need help because the product's not working right or they're not following the directions. And so customer service is another variable cost. So we take our gross profit. Variable cost directly related to the product or service line that we're talking. Yes. Or division. Yeah. I'll get to that in a second, okay. that, that, okay. that element, and okay. I'll give a real-world example. So these variable costs vary with the level of sales activity. We take our gross profit dollars, and we subtract out those three cost categories, and we get to what we call at our company contribution margin. Now, every company might get to contribution margin a, a slightly different way. This is not necessarily a gap-defined term. Uh, gross margin is pretty well-defined within gap, I've seen actually uh, companies that include the fees and fulfillment in gross margin and some that actually don't. I looked at a, a in a D2C, I looked at a cohort or peer group of about 15 public companies and half had fees and fulfillment in their gross margin calculation, half had it below in variable. So anyway, we go from gross profit, we take out these three variable cost categories. I'm just, again, I'm using a specific example of the company I'm at and we get to what we call contribution margin. Contribution margin is meant to imply how much money do you have to cover more of those fixed costs? What's an example of a fixed cost? My salary as CFO, right? The insurance for the business, the internet that connects us to the outside world, the office space we have. These are all more costs that are fixed in nature. They don't change with the level of sales activity. And so when you look at contribution margin, you're trying to see how many dollars 
is this business putting out to cover those fixed costs that are really unavoidable? And those fixed costs go up from when you're a tiny little company with a, with barely an office, you're working out of your garage, you don't have insurance at levels you should. As you get to be a really big company, you need to legally have insurance and you need a, a larger office. You might need lab space for your people to do R&D. And so just pointing out that fixed costs tend to grow. We try to do as much as we can to get leverage out of those fixed costs. But like you don't need to add a new office space every time you hire someone, right? You hire, you, know, you t- tend to get an office space that can grow with you. You buy an extra 20% of room for those hires you're going to do over the next couple of years. But anyway, contribution dollars, contribution profit is the money you have left over to cover those fixed costs. Now, you are given an example of looking at contribution profit across, say, channels or products. Yes, this is extremely important because you could have, you could be selling five products that are somewhat related. And two of those products could be making you money. And on the other three, you're spending so much in performance marketing to get people to click buy that they're losing money for you. Now, they, those products where you're losing money might be the products where first, that first people discover your company. So you, they're sort of lost leaders and you make way more in profit on the other two products in the long run to cover those initial sort of acquisition costs. But long way of saying, once you figure out contribution profit for your whole company, you very quickly want to try and build that out by the different channels you're in or the different products you sell. What are channels? At my company I'm at now, we have a direct-to-consumer channel. So we sell on our website. We have a retail channel. Those are stores or websites for those stores, the Targets, the Walmarts of the world. There's Amazon, right? Amazon's a pretty costly channel. And there's different ways you can do business with Amazon. FBA, fulfilled by Amazon. Then it's like FB customer, fulfilled by customers, all sorts of ways you can do it. Another channel we have is we sell uh, medical devices. And so we sell them through the insurance channel. And so, and then we have one more. I'm just trying to think. Uh, retail. And then you could almost say like international is almost its own channel because it can, can be a very different look and feel when you take a product that you sell in the U.S. You try to sell that internationally. but Or you could just look at your contribution profit, U.S. versus international, right? That would be two good ways to look at it. But anyway, we have multiple channels. The insurance channel for us is extremely profitable from a contribution profit perspective. We get 30% contribution margin in that channel in insurance. It's because we don't market to people. They just go right to the insurance company and they try to get reimbursed for the product. Now, our D2C, we have to do all that performance marketing I mentioned to drive awareness of our product. And so we spend a lot of money there. That is our second most profitable channel. Our least profitable channel is retail. That's because you have to have, you have to sell your product to retailers. These are big, huge global companies. They really negotiate you on the price. And then you have to do co-promotions with them. There's chargebacks they charge your company for. The more you sell, it feels like the more chargebacks you end up paying. And so what we're looking at today is we're looking at contribution profit by channel and seeing we have a really profitable channel, but it's limited in its scale, the insurance channel. We have our website, which is where we started everything. And over time, we've been adding retailers. Now, retailers get us more exposure. People are walking to the store. They see our product. A lot of people like to go buy the product and touch it and feel it before they buy it, right? So retail gives them that chance. But as we're adding these lower contribution 
profit channels and building out our retail channel, that's hurting our overall business. Because what we're seeing is some of those people who used to buy on the web, now that they have a chance to go to a Target or to a Costco or to a Walmart and see our product, they're going to want to do that. So that's cannibalizing one channel. Yeah. And so, and the more you do that, the lower the contribution profit gets over time because your mix is changing from that profitable direct-to-consumer channel towards a less profitable retail channel. So there are benefits to being in all these retail stores, right? Brand recognition. If the competitor's on the shelf, you want to be on the shelf, especially if it's a better product. But there are costs to it and understanding that cost. So you just don't wake up one morning and go, I'm just going to sell everything in retail. I'm tired of dealing with the website and direct-to-consumer sales. I'm tired of dealing with this in, these insurance companies. And you make that decision because you don't know what your contribution profit is across these channels. And guess what? You're out of business like six months later. Does and shouldn't. So contribution margin, when I worked back in the day at America Online, I was the guy. There was, I think I was the guy for all the premium channels, uh, premium services. I sat in marketing, but I did have to work with finance because I needed to pull out variable costs as it related to those product lines. So I needed their help. Do you think that that sits in marketing or finance? It probably could sit in both. I think they sat us in, sat me in marketing because I had access to the data. You know, I had a data scientist next to me who back in those days, we would, we had a separate person who pulled the data when I needed it, but it could be in either place. But sometimes marketing doesn't want to do that because marketing wants to build creatives. They want to come up with slogans and they want to run A, B, C, D, E, F tests, which I'm not knocking on are very important and then report on the metrics versus if you build a contribution margin, you can actually, instead of reacting to your marketing dollars, instead of saying, hey, we have $100,000 to spend on Facebook ads, getting the results with a contribution analysis or contribution margin analysis, you can now say, oh, by the way, on that $100,000, you need to hit X goal for us to actually make money, which is a very different approach than this top-down market. It's really top-down marketing instead of bottom-up. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So couple, let me unpack that a little bit. So first, I think you're talking about where do, where should this expertise and this, this analysis... Yeah, sit? that's the first thing. I mean, it depends on the scale and size of your company. In a perfect world, I think it sits in finance because to your point, then the marketing people can focus on the ABC testing they want to do and building out the brand and all that stuff that we're not good at in finance and accounting, let's be clear. So in a perfect world, the analysis and the reporting sits in finance. That's how we become a good business partner. We highlight things to them that they can't see through other means. And so, but in in fast-growing companies, small, medium-sized businesses, you're going to have very, well, I say, you're going to have people in marketing that can do a lot of things, right? Because they've been in startups before in all likelihood. And so they've had to wear multiple hats. And so in this example, they they might be the person trying to cobble together a contribution margin. What I find is when the business functions try to do accounting, one, they don't do it right. They do it on a cash basis and miss a lot of things that they aren't thinking about. Like I've run into situations where an operations group's trying to put together a P&L and they forget that like salaries have benefits costs on top of them and payroll taxes on top of them, right? And so we in finance know you just typically in the US, you add 20, 22% on top of someone's salary to get their fully loaded costs. Is that the general number? Yeah. That's taxes, benefits, 401k. Yeah. That's like in the US. Yeah. 22%. If you're going to put in like a 401k match, it's probably 
a little higher, like 22, 23, 24%. But yeah, it's at least 20%. And so we call that the burden. So I need to, so if you make a hundred thousand dollars, we're going to, we're going to burden 20% on top of that and follow through our model at $120,000 cost as an example. So I don't like people outside finance trying to create P&Ls because they're not, it's a waste of their time. They think it's important and it is important. I'd rather hire some finance people. Well, it's a hybrid, isn't it? It's a, it's a marketing finance person. Yeah. Well, it's a finance person that does business support for marketing. So, right. So they do have like, right. So not all finance people are well versed on the marketing. Right. So you got to be that. It's, but it's a can, niche. If I can find a smart, a smart kid, a couple years out of college, maybe they were working in an accounting firm. Maybe they were working on Wall Street and I can bring them over. They'll learn marketing really quick. They just need to listen and spend time with the marketing experts, right? So the way I do that is I bring them on board in finance, FP&A, business support. I, I use those terms interchangeably. And I tell them to go out, go to the staff meetings, have one-on-ones weekly with the marketing executive and lead or whoever has the time to talk to you, start building that relationship, find out what their priorities are, find out what their goals are for this year, find out what how much revenue or they have to bring in or whatever the, the numbers are, understand their budget, understand how their spend is recognized in a P&L. And so just really try to immerse yourself in their world and then bring that knowledge back, take the numbers from accounting and try to start helping them better understand their business and drive their objectives. So I'd rather sit in accounting. So that was the first part of your statement is you had to sort of do that. You were doing that job and you were sort of stuck in the middle almost, right? You weren't. Well, I'm a consultant who's basically working between both of them. I, they probably somebody higher than my pay grade sat me in the marketing to put it on that P&L instead of finance. So I'm really a finance person, not on the finance P&L so that it came out of the marketing budget is most likely yeah, probably how that works. Again, if I'm going to get, if you were a marketing person trying to do finance, I'm not going to get a great return on my investment in you. You're right. distracted from your core responsibilities and your core superpowers. I want you focused on your superpowers and leveraging those for the benefit of the company. The other part of this is you can't do this contribution margin analysis unless you set up your chart of accounts, you have policies and processes in place that get information booked into the right account. You have the ability to take the data in the accounting system and hopefully it's in a cube, a data cube, and you can slice it and dice it. So I can understand that this revenue is related to this channel. This cost is related to this channel. This marketing spend is related to that channel. If you can't sort of set up your data model in accounting, we call it a chart of accounts, but also it's the chart of accounts and yeah, it's basically the chart of accounts. If you can't set up the chart of accounts in such a way to get this information out, you're going to be spending a lot of time trying to make things up to try to get to this contribution margin by channel, right? And it's not going to be... Or by product. Or by product. Anyway. So just a, a little bit of a pitch that this all goes back to the beginning, especially when you're putting in a new accounting system. It needs to be able... The chart of accounts and the data model have to be able to support your business and how you look at your business. And the thing is, you're probably not even looking at your business all the ways you can. This, this new system will enable you to look at your business in different ways because it's a much co- more, com- has the capability to do more complex data models and things like that. So you need to spend the time up front talking to the business. What's important to you? Is it profitability by product, by channel? They'll probably say both. And then you need to make sure you set up your data models so you can get that information out of your accounting system. If you don't do that, you're just, you're just, you're dead in the water. It's almost like you have a marketing you have a finance marketing department. And most, and I just see a lot of companies miss it, Sean. And they're just, they're saying, 
especially in the early days. And I see big companies like, hey, where's your contribution margin? You go into marketing and they're like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you hear the most frequent one I hear is sales finance, right? That's the first combination of finance with some other function that you commonly hear, sales finance. These are people who, on the finance side, they're measuring profitability of contracts before we sign them, things like that. So I've heard of companies, big companies having sales finance teams. They typically will report up through the CFO, but they can also report up through the finance, I'm sorry, for the sales leader. Just depends on the company. So they go there first, but then they miss this marketing. And how much a percent of my marketing can be a big percentage of your total revenue, I guess. I mean, yeah. Right? Yeah. No, performance marketing at uh, direct to consumer companies could be 25% of your revenue. So if you're not doing contribution margin, you could find yourself in big trouble. Yeah. But uh, back to my example. I'm spending that 25% on the D2C channel. The other, t- the insurance channel, I spend no marketing on, right? Now, to be fair, some of that D2C marketing I'm doing is driving awareness, right? And so, do you attribute all of my performance marketing costs to D2C? You could do that to be conservative and make yourself more comparable to other D- only D2C companies that are only do D2C so you can compare metrics. But the point being, yes, you need to, you need to know how much you're spending in each channel to drive profitability. And it varies by product, as you said, by channel. There's other ways, business unit. I mean, there's all sorts of different cuts of contribution margin you can do. As I said, domestic versus international might be a cut you do. So very important tool to understand where you're making money and where you aren't making money. And then you can make decisions about whether you want to continue losing money. Is it is it for a purpose or is it is it not for a purpose? If it's not for a purpose, it's, you might want to de-emphasize that part of your business. Now, I'm just going to roll another grenade in, but we're not going to completely unpack it, is you also, especially in businesses that have churn, if you're not running your churn curves in your financial, one in your entire financial model, but especially in your contribution margin, then you're actually getting the wrong number and people miss the bur- running those churn curves. Yeah, you're sort of getting into, there's a lot of metrics in the sort of direct-to-consumer internet. Well, I'm diving into that because uh, there's so much subscription businesses now, right? Even you buy the product and now you buy the Peloton and I've got $49 charge every month. Right, right. So you're getting a subscription business, SaaS and metrics. So this is sort of beyond the P&L. A lot of these key business metrics, almost in a way, are based more on cash activity. And you can get them more real time now with the tools, whether you're placing ads on Google, they have all these tools that tell you real time, like how your spend is performing. And so, but there's a lot of metrics and each business has different metrics. So you were talking about subscription businesses and churn. What's churn? Churn is like how many customers that you sign up are staying with you and continuing to pay monthly throughout the cohort. Yeah. Throughout a cohort. We'll get to that in a second versus how many are, are canceling their subscription and disappearing. If you have a net positive sort of churn, you're adding more customers than you're losing, that's fantastic. You talked about cohorts. Yeah, we look at things, metrics in cohorts because it's helpful. So we typically, in the business right now, we're looking at quarterly cohorts, but you can look at monthly cohorts. Uh, you can look at cohorts across a different attribute, but essentially what you're trying to do is look at groups of customers and how are they spending over time is one example of sort of cohort type analysis. So I spend 60 bucks to acquire a customer on the first purchase, they generate $200 of revenue for me. Maybe they sign up for a subscription that produces another $120 over the course of the first year. So now I'm at $320 in my first year against that $60 acquisition cost. That's not bad. But you want to make sure that they're, they're in a cohort, my Q1 cohort. Well, I ran a marketing campaign in Q2 where I doubled my performance marketing spend. How's that cohort performing? 
right? And so that's why cohorts are important to group customers into some sort of grouping because it allows you to do some of that A-B testing. In Q1, I really cut my performance marketing because, I don't know, it's when everyone goes on vacation. But in Q2, I doubled it uh, for my normal levels. And I want to see how that cohort is spending money with me. Did they buy the add-ons to the subscription? The subscription was 120 bucks, but did they buy the two add-ons we offer that adds another 80 bucks of subscription revenue a year? And now I'm at $400 against that $60 acquisition cost. So yeah, there's a lot of metrics that exist outside the financial statements and each company's different. And you can get a lot of those metrics quicker than you can get financial statements. So I don't poo-poo people who are looking at those things because it gives you a real sense of I call it the heartbeat of the company, like what's going on on the front lines, where that's looking at cash sales on Shopify. Like every day, I sold a million dollars today. This same day last year, I sold uh, 500,000, right? So you can look at Shopify enables you to do that, look at that kind of stuff daily. And so does when you're placing ads on on Facebook and, and all those sites, they have a lot of real-time information tools. And you got to build metrics, just like you got to build your chart of accounts and accounting. You got to build metrics that everyone buys into, you got to define those metrics so that people aren't miscalculating them or misrepresenting them to your board or to outside investors. So you got to make sure you have tight definitions around those metrics. And hopefully those metrics show that on top of your financial statements that your business is doing well. Well, I appreciate you going into that. I just think it's really important. I think a lot of people miss that. And then we, you talk about finance in general. It's It's sort of everything else we talked about, which is a lot. We've covered it in two hours and one minute. 